Hello everyone and welcome to the latest in our new series of podcasts covering all things employment law. I am your host, Rebecca Dow. I am a trainee solicitor in the employment team here at Clark's Legal. I am joined by my co-host this week, Harry Berryman, a solicitor in our employment team. Hi everyone. Unfortunately, in this difficult economic period, now officially a recession, businesses of all sizes are being forced to make redundancies some for the first time. This is inevitably a stressful time for both employees and management at these organisations. As with all unfamiliar processes, knowing what to expect and how to make the most of the situation can only help. So in this podcast, we will provide guidance about the process when having to select employees for redundancy from a pool. We hope that this can alleviate concerns and leave you better informed. Exactly, Rebecca. There are many aspects of a redundancy process that are difficult to navigate for all involved, both for an employer to know how to fairly carry out the process and for employees to understand their rights and what to expect. We'll talk through the steps that need to be taken for a redundancy to be fair and the range of criteria that can be used when determining which employees will be made redundant. While we will discuss the basic steps here, we would suggest that any employer who intends to make redundancies get legal advice in advance to ensure that they carry it out fairly and to minimise the risk of a claim being made against them. We'll also concentrate on small-scale redundancies today. It's important to remember that proposals for 20 or more redundancies at an establishment over a 90-day period will engage specific collective consultation obligations and failure to follow these can result in significant penalties. Yes, thank you for that reminder, Harry. Today, we will also discuss the key things to bear in mind for employees who are at risk and the compensation they might expect to see for being made redundant. Yes, when you're looking at a group of employees that may need to be reduced in numbers, the key place to start is with the four major factors that make a redundancy fair. These are, firstly, the employer identifying the appropriate pool of employees who will be at risk, from whom the redundancies will be selected. Second, the employer must consult with those at-risk employees. And the third step is that the employer must carry out a fair selection process using, as far as possible, objective criteria in order to make the decision. Finally, the employer must consider whether the selected employees could take up alternative roles within the business, or if appropriate, the wider corporate group. Yes, so if we examine the first of those factors, the pooling, The employer will decide the pool, and they have quite a wide discretion on determining its makeup. But it does have to consider whether different groups of employees should be pulled together. For example, if they have the same job title, they do the same work, their skill sets are interchangeable, or they work in particular locations. Employees may want to argue for a wide pool because statistically it protects them, whereas an employer may want to keep the pool relatively small to be less disruptive. That's right. And what is critical here is that an employment tribunal would expect to see that the employer has genuinely applied its mind to the makeup of that pool. This can be an area that can feel quite unfair to employees, particularly where the individuals in the pool seem to do different work, but it may be because of transferable skills or because one group within the pool can do all the jobs. Employers should take care to explain the structure of the pools 
and employees are entitled to ask about how they were made up and may challenge the pool makeup if it appears contrived or too narrow. Being told you are at risk of redundancy can be a stressful time for employees, but hopefully between our podcast today and the information from their employer, we can help people through it. And that leads quite neatly into the second aspect of the process, consultation. All employees are entitled to be consulted about a proposed redundancy. Yes, even outside of collective redundancies, the employer must give the employees sufficient information about the proposal and a good amount of time for them to consider their options. It is best practice to let the employees know the timeframes for the process, the proposal, and how it affects the individual, the pools and how the pools are put together, and the proposed selection criteria that the employer intends to use to select the redundancies. Once pooled individuals have been provisionally selected, the redundancy consultation will continue with them to look at ways of avoiding the redundancy. It's important to remember that the consultation is a two-way process, so employees can also make suggestions to avoid the redundancy altogether. The employer should allow time to reflect on the suggestions and respond to them with clear answers. They can consider alternative positions that the employee could take up with the employer and discuss any other matters or concerns they have. Thanks, Rebecca. That's a good point. Employers need to approach the consultation in good faith because if they don't, and only lip service is paid to the process, an employment tribunal is likely to find any dismissal to be unfair. Thanks, Harry. You also mentioned the selection process a moment ago, so we should probably discuss how that should be done. The basic rule is that they must be, insofar as is possible, objective and measurable rather than based on personal opinion or protected characteristics such as age, gender or race. It is also important to consider whether the proposed criteria might be indirectly discriminatory, such as flexibility or availability and commitment. Exactly. Again, this is an area where the employer has quite a lot of choice over what they use to select the employees, which makes it all the more important that they let the at-risk employees know what criteria will be used and who will be doing the scoring and how. Using a panel to undertake the scoring, having them score separately and adding on disciplinary and absence records at the end via HR are all ways of showing that the scoring is fair and transparent. There have been some situations where subjective criteria have been used. However, the employer will still need to be able to apply the scoring objectively and justify why a more objective criteria would not have had the same effect. If the criteria aren't justifiable or are too subjective, an employment tribunal is likely to find the dismissals to be unfair. That's true, and this is a factor in why we suggest that employers get legal advice to make sure that they keep the selection fair. We would also suggest that if you are an employee who is informed at this stage that they have been selected, you obtain legal advice. So once the at-risk employees have been scored, the employer is required to consult with the selected employees to see if redundancy can be avoided. This usually involves looking at whether or not they could take up any other roles in the company. This will be quite specific to the employers and employees involved, but is an important step. You're right. And there is also a requirement that employees on maternity, adoption or shared parental leave be given preference when being offered a suitable alternative vacancy. 
an employee in this situation who is not given this preferential treatment will be seen as to be automatically unfairly dismissed. This is an area of law that is also changing in the near future. That right is being extended in 2024 to women who have informed their employer that they are pregnant and for 18 months after their baby is born. That is important for employers to know. How does that interact with the protected period for the parental leave? Good question. It overlaps, so if the mother takes three months of maternity leave, she is then protected for a further 15 months once she returns to work. Okay, thanks. So, a strong protection for the employees, but one that employers need to bear in mind for quite a long time after the mother has returned to work. Exactly, which emphasises the importance of fair and transparent processes, which are for the benefit of both parties and will hopefully avoid anyone feeling the need to bring a claim, which can be more costly than taking the initial time and care to get it right in the first place. If an employer is faced with a difficult set of circumstances, even just for one part of the process, slow down, reflect, and get some legal advice if necessary. I agree. You also mentioned at the beginning that employees who are being made redundant will be entitled to compensation. Could you tell me a bit more about that? Of course. Employees who are made redundant are entitled to their notice pay, and if they have two or more continuous years service, are entitled to a statutory redundancy payment from their employer. However, the specifics are quite complicated, so I'll just give a brief explanation. The sum is calculated using a formula based on age, length of service and current weekly pay, subject to certain maximums. And what happens if the employer doesn't pay? Fortunately, if they refuse or are unable to pay, the payment can be claimed from the National Insurance Fund. Some employers also offer enhanced redundancy terms to employees under the terms of a settlement agreement to waive any claims against the company. This provides certainty and financial benefit and can also certainly help to alleviate the stresses for both sides. It's something both employers and employers can consider during the redundancy process. So, to bring it all together, employers need to follow a fair and transparent process when carrying out redundancies. They mustn't be arbitrary and they need to keep employees informed of what is happening to them. Exactly. And while there are steps where the employer has quite a lot of discretion in who they make redundant and why, there are still controls through the process that are designed to protect employees. Absolutely. If employers or employees have any questions about a redundancy process and the detailed mechanism in place to protect both sides, they can contact a member of our employment team who would be more than happy to help. Yes, thanks, Harry. And thank you for listening to Clark's Legal's Employment Law podcast series. Please check back with us later for further employment updates.